if you listen to this podcast, a tradition it. unlike any other. Okay, I was waiting for that. Thank you. <laughs> Talk about being made whole. <laughs> All right. Hello, this is Alan Schiffnack back for another podcast for the Knockdown. Thanks as always for listening. I'm delighted that our guest today is Jim Nance, the voice of the masters and many other things. Sir, thanks for doing this. Are you kidding? It's nice to be in person with you here, <laughs> near home for both of us. So it's uh, it's great to be on the show, Ship. You know I'm a big admirer of everything you do. So uh, it's, it's uh, leading up to the masters right now. We're getting close. And I can just, I can, I just wake up now thinking about it. I got this little basketball gathering first down in San Antonio, but I'm fired up and I love to talk golf with you. (laughs) Well, so you're leaving for the final four tomorrow. Uh, What percentage of your brain is dedicated to to basketball and what percentage to golf at this moment? Well, truly, that's a good question. Uh, And we're not going to factor in how much is uh, dedicated to my two-year-old son trying to make sure he doesn't like (laughs) knock over lamps in the house (laughs) or find trouble somewhere, mischief. That's my four year old. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's good. But my two little ones, they, they take up a good part of uh, what I'm thinking about, and I love every minute of it. But professionally, right now, truly, I would say it's 99 to 1 at this moment on the basketball. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. If people didn't ask me about the Masters, I, I'm really good at compartmentalizing my thoughts. Yeah. I, would be, I would be really locked in on on just what's going to happen here in San Antonio and being prepared for it. I do feel like I've got a running start. I feel really good about where I am uh, this early in the week on Tuesday before the Final Four. Preparation for me is everything. If I've read all the clips, if I've set up my charts and boards, uh, I get to go enjoy the week even a little bit more and now take the preparation and the stories that I might be able to, to glean from somebody another layer deeper. Uh, so I'm feeling really good about san antonio but that's that's at the forefront right now but then you don't have quite as much prep time for augusta you don't roll in until tuesday morning and tournament bang bang it's upon you so how do you do your master's preparation while you're doing your final four preparation you know i feel like i prepared my whole life for the masters (laughs) i mean that sounds maybe uh, a little bold to say but i feel like my whole life has been uh, tracking the sport cobbling together stories in my head, filing away uh, background information on players. You do the same thing. Sure. You know, if I ask you right now about uh, any one of the players that's going to play in, in, in the Masters tournament, if I asked you about Justin Rose, you, you, you could take this podcast, you could excuse me, you could go for the next five hours <laughs> and not even finish talking about Justin Rose. You have that depth of knowledge because we're in the same world. And I, yeah. I'm in that universe sure. uh, where I, I feel like I'm prepared as far as the players, the story, their background, the anecdotal things that made them who they are. What's right. the interesting thing as far as they go as a subject that we're covering? I kind of think I know that. Um, it's a different sport to broadcast than my NFL or my basketball. Obviously, the pace is different. I don't have big boards and charts in front of me when I, I call any golf tournament. I like to say I broadcast from my heart. And, you know, what does that mean? Well, like, whatever strikes me, whatever feeling that that moment is relatable to the, the, the experience the player is going through, I want to be able to try to articulate that to the viewer. So, no, the preparation is a, it's a shorter time to prepare. I will be on the ground by uh, midday on Tuesday, and I'll go immediately out to Augusta National. And uh, I'm going to tape an interview with, with Jack and Gary 
nice. that uh, is going to be put together for an archival piece. Uh, but by and large, my Wednesday is the day that I kind of run around and make sure I shake a lot of hands. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of the players. I uh, try to get a last-minute thought about how they're feeling. I want to see how Jordan, for example, is is his health, is his strength and endurance better. I know, of course, we all know he's he hasn't been well since the first of the year. It's part of the reason his play hasn't been up to his high standards. But, right. you know, that's the kind of thing I just might be out on the golf course and, and – Players are very cordial about it. They are very likely to come over and say hello, and <clears throat> I might be able to again glean a little nugget or two of what's in their head sure. going into the tournament. I mean, we all we all love the Masters, but it seems to go a little deeper with you. Uh, the, the romance. <laughs> what is your first memory of watching the Masters when you're a kid? I can't I can't specify a a, a, a certain year. Uh, you know, I. I have a lot of those uh, early tournament memories that are uh, – there's a little bit of uh, cross-pollination between did I see it live or am I just looking in my <laughs> memory bank at some of the old clips that I've seen. Right. The 70 uh, – uh, the, the, the 75 Masters uh, with Jack and, and, and Johnny and, and Tom Weiskopf and that, that incredible finish at the end. And, you know, I mean, I, I was deep into the Masters already by that point. Um, so I don't know exactly how far back it goes. You know, Faldo, uh, who I sit next to, as you know, he, he, he remembers when he was 11 years old watching the Masters and, and then wanted to go out and start practicing. And he saw Jack Nicholson was struck by the presence of Nicholas on television. And he went out and started practicing like the very next day. But, you know, I, I've told people since I was 11 years old, which would have been like 1969, 70, 70, I guess it would have been. That's when I started to think, wow, there's something special about that tournament. I'd like to one day <laughs> go there and, and even, you know, maybe one day be one of those voices that, I, I was so mesmerized by in my youth, but I like the word you use there, Alan. You said the romance of it. There's something about Augusta that uh, I do truly. Uh, I can't give you the percentage. Uh, we've already established <laughs> that right now. Um, my brain's on San Antonio in the right. Final Four, but every day of my life, if I step foot on my house, out of my house, I'm going to be asked by someone about the Masters. I, I'm just I'm so appreciative that somebody wants to come up and ask me about it, and it can be. July. It can be October. And I have this almost like countdown clock in my head. I know that when you know, I'm on that second Sunday of October doing an NFL game, that I'm basically on the other side of the moon. I'm exactly six months away from the <laughs> Sunday of the Masters. I mean, I have an idea always of how far away we are until Augusta. So I, I, I treasure once I get there. I do treasure every single second of it. The week is a blur, and I find myself wanting to know everything that's happening on the course. Once we get it started Thursday morning, which always begins with the same ritual for me, I've never missed the opening ceremonial tee shots. I will be there again next Thursday. And once we get the next few groups off, I, I, I'm, I, I, just, I just have a brain that wants to know what everyone's doing. I'm constantly in front of a computer or out on the course. And if I'm in front of a computer, I set up the information to be where I get uh, 
the score input hole by hole. And I want to just see, you know, what, what did Ricky Fowler just do on the seventh hole? Oh, because I know he just birdied six, so how's he going to back that up? And, you know, I have a pretty good idea. So I get on the air, I'm able to spew out a lot of the information about what a guy's doing in his realm because I've been really following it. I'm into it. I can't even stand to think I can step away from it for 10 minutes and something might happen and I'm not aware of it instantly. Yeah. I like what you said uh, that you were entranced by the voices watching the telecast. Yeah. Most most kids and even adults, they, they gravitate to the players, but you you had a different relationship with the broadcast. Sounds like you're more tuned into the announcers than, than anything else. I was always that way as a kid. I, for some reason, uh, sure, I had golfers that I adored, you know, Nicholas Palmer, player, Weisskopf, they, they, these were my guys. Uh, and uh, I had something, though, a romance about golf. My, my parents identified that early on. And the voices of golf really had my attention. We lived in New Jersey in my really growing up years. Born in North Carolina, my dad kept getting promoted, hopscotched around the country to New Orleans, to the Bay Area, lived in the East Bay up in Moraga, yeah. to New Jersey, where he got to the corporate headquarters there. But they were kind enough. Like some parents take these young <laughs> prodigy golfers. I was no prodigy broadcaster. I was a kid masquerading as a wannabe announcer one day. But they, you know how parents sometimes can help fuel the dream and support it. Of course. My parents made sure every year that we had spring break, they were going to take Jimmy to wherever the tour was. That was going to be our spring break. So when the schedule came out for the tour, you didn't have computers to look it up. But somehow you go through a golf digest and you, you'd find the schedule. Hey, next year the Jacksonville Open <laughs> at, uh, at Deerwood is going to take place the week of our vacation. Uh, uh, next year it's going to be the Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic. It's going to be the Doral. And every year we get in a car. We wouldn't, we wouldn't fly. That was outrageously expensive. We'd get in a car and we would drive two days to go to a tour event so that I could go spend my week running around watching a PGA tour event. As I got older, I was running around not only just watching the pros play, I was running around and hanging out at the base of the towers, the announced towers, hoping that I'd get a glimpse, a chance to see these iconic voices, uh, you know, these men step down to see what they look like, watch them get to the tower in time, then climb out afterwards, or even better positioned right underneath it, perhaps I could faintly hear bleeding through the, the, the structure, the tower structure, I could hear their commentary. And I used to do that. I love that. You know, in 1986, I did the Doral for the first time. It's one of the first terms ever broadcast. And I was struck by the fact that it wasn't that long ago. Uh, I had been at Doral, dropped off on a spring break. My my parents would go to the beach, take my older sister, Nancy, to the beach. Uh, they'd drop Jimmy off and entrust me to be able to spend the day and not get in any, into <laughs> too much hijinks. Yeah. You know, they give me a, a little bit of money or whatever. But on this one occasion at Doral, my, my mother packed me a lunch, you know, aluminum foil, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, froze a soda overnight and, and then had it encased inside again of labor uh, of love. Oh, I'm telling you, I would carry that bag and they'd let you in. Yeah. You bring, I brought my own food, but here I'm running around Doral, whatever I am, 15 years old, 13 years old. And I didn't know what to do with the lunch. It was kind of cumbersome. I'm getting tired of like having to hang on to the bag and it's starting to sweat. <laughs> yes. the, the, the soda's melting. So right by the 18th is the first fairway, the stand of trees. Sure. 
I looked around at one point. One of the last groups had gone off. There was no one around. I climbed the tree. I mean, I got like 20 feet up in the air <laughs> and safely lodged my lunch into that tree and scaled back down. No marshal kicked me off the golf course and then ran around the golf course to go hang out by the announcers. And at the end of the day, I came back as play was at 18 and somebody was about to hit a shot. I thought it was safe. All the eyes are on the competitor. I climbed back up the tree and got my lunch. A few years later, I'm in the tower at 18. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. That is amazing. So who were the announcers that, that you were uh, you were stalking? I mean, did you, did you get autographs? Did you ever chat them up? I mean, how did the interactions too, go? I was, honestly, I was too frightened to ask them for autographs. They, they, these were demigods. I saw them. I saw yeah. them all. Um, you know, you, you can pretty much go on that roll call of who they would have been. Over at, uh, you know, CBS it would have been at the time because Jack Whitaker joined ABC in 1980. So Jack was with CBS up until that point. Love Jack Whitaker. So remains a very central part of my life, an important guy in my life. Stay in touch with Jack. Um, Pat Summerall, Ken Venturi. I mean, I got to work with these guys. Um, you know, over at ABC, uh Dave Marr and, and, and Byron Nelson was doing the golf with, with uh, Jim McKay, Chris Shankel back in those days. Those are great the, names. The 74 U.S. Open at Wingfoot. I ran around for uh, uh, Massacre at Wingfoot, the Dick Schaap book. And um, I got to see, because it was a major, they had Frank Gifford at like the 11th hole, a Wingfoot member. Yes. Keith Jackson. Uh, did golf. He was in like the Tower of 12 or 13. I saw him. And this is just incredible. There they are. Oh my gosh, right in front of me. What do I do? I wasn't afraid to go ask uh, Jack Nichols or Tom Weiskopf or Arnie for an autograph, but the announcers, uh, it was just too intimidating. I can remember very early in my career writing deadline pieces and thinking about, um, you can hear the voices in your head. Oh, you know, what would, what would Dan Jenkins how would he write this? What would Rick Riley do? I love you know, your saying this. What would Herbert Warren Wins say? I love and your saying this. It, but it's a challenge. You have to drown those voices out and find your own. And that's the hardest thing, I think, when you're starting out. So what were the voices in your head and how did you quiet them? Well, first off, I, I love the fact that anybody would draw from mentors or uh, figures that, that you really looked up to. You try to model your career after. Relatable story for me. The 97 Masters, the, the night before the final round, Tiger had a nine-shot lead. What was I going to say over that final putt? He's going to win. That, that, that clip is going to be played well past our lifetime. Yeah. It's going to be 200 years from now. Somebody's going to be coming on the air with one of those big openings to the, to, to the Masters, and it's, it's going to be in that, in, in, in that montage tiger in 97 and whatever accompanies the visual it better be pretty good um i sat there on saturday night thinking hey gosh i, I felt like i felt summerall whitaker mckay uh, you know I, I felt the i felt them shank i felt them like peering over my shoulder figuratively. I knew they were all going to be watching. They were all still alive at that point. Right. Uh, and I, I really felt the sense of like, I, I, they passed the baton to me. I can never live up to their high standards. I can never be as good as they are in my mind. But I want to do something they would say, hey, that kid handled that moment the right way. Yeah. And I really felt pressure, exactly how you described it. 
I felt pressure. Ultimately, I went with a, a win for the ages. I knew it needed to be short, succinct, something that would be fitting when you played it back 200 years from now. Yeah. A win for the ages. Well, 200 years from now, that means that qualifies. That line, yeah, it was a win for the ages. I had some people uh, later on say, ah, you premeditated that thought. Yeah, I know that didn't just come to you at the moment. I said, darn right I had that one premeditated. <laughs> if I didn't think about it, I wasn't doing my job. Sure. Let me ask you, on Saturday night before the, the Masters, are you starting to think about your lead? Of course you are. I'm thinking about it on Thursday. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> you, know, you got to. There you go. I mean, like that's what somebody's entrusting you to go down to Augusta, pay your expenses, and put you in prime position to tell the story. If on Saturday night I was out just, whatever, enjoying a bottle of wine, and I'll worry about that tomorrow at 7.05 when that putt drops. It'll hit me at that time. Yeah. I'm not doing my job. Yeah. So um, I, I felt really good about that uh, that moment. Now, when Phil won in 04, I really didn't even know what I had said until it kind of got played back. I could have been in the neighborhood, but – the, the, the putt was on its way, and I said something uh, uh, after the stroke. Is it his time? And I, I, I did not premeditate that, and the ball almost lipped out. I mean, it was right on the edge. People forget. On the low side. Yeah, exactly. And I said, yes, at long last. <laughs> and uh, it felt natural, organic. It felt like the moment. But in a 97 was a nine-shot lead going into it, and uh, – yeah, anyway, just my it gives gosh. you some some insight to how the players feel. It's almost too much. It's too much time to think. I mean, from from Saturday night until Sunday afternoon is an eternity, and yeah. you know we're all, we're we're dying in our own way. Imagine how the players feel, you know, sleeping on those leads. Like, you know, Sunday at the Masters, uh, someday somebody's gonna, I, I figure maybe, get the access, and uh, it's not up to me, but to be able to to write the story about, to me, the most exciting four or five minutes of my year is finishing up the action at the 18th green. If there's no playoff or right. if the playoff ends at 18, but, um, and then climbing down the steps and making my way to Butler cabin. It's a mad dash. Suddenly segueing into where you're, uh, you know, you're on camera, you're, you're hosting the world feed. I mean, you got some things you got to do there. You've got to, you got to have some thought about I'm interviewing the low amateur. I'm interviewing the champion. And then I go off the air with a little 60 second ad libbed, uh, essay. I know the visuals that are going to be in that sequence of shots, but I don't have the script because it's been, composited as the day is going on sure i have i have people on a link who are telling me they're adding to the the final rollout piece this yeah. makes sense to you it does it's the last thing that's on the air until we dissolve out of it and it's a frame full I, shot of the champion i can and picture you, it and you hear some applause in butler cabin yeah that is a high wire act in our world in our yeah. little world of uh, sure. sports broadcasting um but to get from the tower and try to capture the, the the moment as effectively as you can in concert with Nick and um, and, and Lance Barrow rolling in these great super slow-mo replays and Milton, Steve Milton having it framed last year. There was Garcia and, and Angela in the background and she was cheering and hanging on to the putt as it dropped. And, you know, you're trying to not over-talk it, but you're trying to have the right caption. And all of a sudden, you know, you throw it to commercial. We'll be, you know, so Sergio Garcia's won the Masters. And he's headed to Butler Cabin to be presented his green jacket. Boom. 
Hey, count you down. You're in commercial. All of a sudden, hey, we got to go. What? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you take the headset off. You scale down. You got like five or six Pinkertons waiting for you. Well, the sea of humanity. Every fan is between yeah. 18 Green and Butler Cabin because they're they're getting around the, the putting green for the ceremony. It's a, it's like a crush. Yeah, it is. People. It is. It's exactly right. It's uh, uh, thank thankfully there is some assistance in in be able to <laughs> part the seas there as uh, we have. Uh, uh, we come right out of the scoring area, uh, but it's still uh, there are thousands of of uh, very excited fans have just seen his witnessed history, and and you make your way down to the cabin as you're on your way. You're thinking, no, no, wait a minute, uh, okay, what what are we going to do here now? And you know, oftentimes you go in, and they're not quite ready because the the champion has to go sign the card. Right. And by the way, I don't have anybody to play off of. It's not like, well, Nick, what do you? Well, Nick's not there. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, it's you're you're alone. So you'll go through highlights, to go through leaderboards, and you're also trying to sync up all the world feeds. That's another little uh, part of it that that's kind of a hidden well, unknown. I will say this as, as a, a viewer, and also someone who's been on the grounds a lot now. I wish they would dispense with the butler cabin and go right to the outdoor jacket ceremony, which to me is so elegant. You have the beautiful light, the everyone's gathered there, the energy's great. Like, and people don't really get to see that very often, but to, I, I love the feel of that yeah. of that jacket ceremony. You're you're grimacing. You disagree? No, no. I, obviously, uh, I've just been a part of Butler Cabin for a long time, and that that ceremony's been a part of the of the magic of the tournament for a long time. Um, and uh, and um, nobody's asking my opinion, nor no, am I going to. I am it. asking your opinion. No, I, I love being a part of Butler Cabin. I mean, I love that. I love watching it as a kid. It. Uh, uh, it's just uh, the outdoor ceremony is – what do they do at the U.S. Open? Yeah, that's true. Outdoor ceremony. What do they do at the Open Championship? But it's what not – What do they do at the PGA Championship? <laughs> what do they do at every single tour event? It's not the golden light anyway, of Augusta. It's not my this... goal. Uh, I, I, I'm very honored to uh, – the <laughs> right. golden light of Augusta. I love the poetry. <laughs> you you but, can use that. But uh, – yeah, I might. I might just just might use that. I, I will say this though, as a as a place that uh, leans so heavily on tradition, uh, that is one of the time honored traditions. You know, if you if you look back at uh, the coronation for all these champions through the years. Now, it wasn't always in Butler Cabin. Uh, it, it used to be in um, uh, uh, Jones Cabin, like the '60 Masters for for Arnold. It was they didn't move into Butler until. 1966. I just think it's really special that the uh, the club has has had that that uh, time honored kind of ceremony for so long, and it's a one of the greatest, uh, truly one of my greatest professional honors is to be asked to be a part of hosting the, that great ceremony. People don't realize there's a whole TV studio basically underneath Butler Cabin, right? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't understand what butler cabin means you know is uh, uh what what is that because if you haven't been there you don't understand the, the cottages that are on the grounds there but it's a three-story cottage with uh with bedrooms on uh on all three floors and our studio is on the ground floor the the, the it wouldn't be the basement you can enter it from the outside um but the the, the bottom uh uh floor of butler cabin has two bedrooms and a living room area and uh, that's that's where the since 1966 the studio as you called it is kind of set up for lighting purposes and right. and things like that and, and soundproofed and uh, you know we've got a whole a great crew of people that work in there and have for many many years and uh, you know the the two 
bedrooms that are on flanking the the, the living areas uh, though those also have purposes for this one is like a a complete audio mixing area. I mean, the, the, the equipment that's in there is just fantastic. Right. You just wouldn't believe it. And when you look at it from the exterior, it looks just like a little cabin. You have no idea what, what lurks beneath. It's, it's uh, I'm, I'm sure here we are, uh, you know, well in advance of the Masters tournament right now. We're uh, nine days away from the first round of competition. I'm sure it's probably right now people are in there setting it up. It's a it's an intricate process to, to get everything in there. There's a lot of equipment. It is made into a makeshift television studio. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this year's tournament. Am, am I correct that this is the most heavily <laughs> anticipated Masters in a good long while? I mean, it just feels, it feels like, like that way. It's just it? been building and building, and you know, people are I just. Think, I think there's that, an energy there. Well, here's why. Okay, the obvious. I'm going to go there first. Not that I think it's the biggest. Uh, priority of all the great things that have happened but it's the obvious one is the tiger has come back and he sure. has performed at a level that is uh, really impressive really impressive he's come out and contended and he's got his swing speeds up to levels that uh that didn't seem possible didn't seem possible and reflect uh, in a tiger's game in his prime so uh yeah you got that for starters and then and then you have rory coming off a win that was dominant. I still think it was underrated what he did, burning five of those last six holes and shooting 64 the last day at Bay Hill and the way that – I'm a great leaderboard there. Uh, and the way he played, uh, sensational. So you know you know, that you got that possible story of a career grand slam. Phil to win with 47 of the top 50 players in Mexico City. Tremendous. I mean, his first win, again, I think uh, – just looking at the context of what's happened over the last three months, I think it was a little bit undervalued. I agree. I mean, it was such a big win for him. And, you know, he went back to 2013 since he had previously won. But, uh, I mean, Phil, his game is sharp. I mean, look at the other close brushes he's had. Now you got Bubba, who's won twice in the last five or six weeks. And we know that when his game's on, he can dominate at Augusta, as he did in 12 and 14. So, uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned Justin Thomas, who's always hovering sure. around the leaderboard and won at the Honda. Feels like that was five months ago, but it was like three or four weeks ago. A lot happened. I mean, it's like every, like all the prime guys, except for a couple. Yeah. Most specifically right now, Jordan Spieth. Yeah. You know, his game's not where you expect it to be. Right. Uh, and Dustin Johnson is not dominating like he was at this time last year, but not like... He's fallen off a cliff either. I mean, no, he's still world number one. Right, still world number one. <laughs> so you have all this you know, brewing. Sergio showing signs of being able to put up a defense. Yeah. By the way, Justin Rose, who could have won it last year. Yeah. He's right there. I mean, his game is in peak form. I mean, my gosh. What does that mean? What's Does it mean we're going to have some guy that you completely never expected <laughs> to win it? Yeah, here, here comes Kyrdek Alpha Barnrat. Could be <laughs> from left field. Absolutely, Charlie Hoffman. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't mean that as a as a, any sense of, of 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 ridicule that Charlie Hoffman could win the Masters. I actually think if I had he to could look, win the Masters. I, I actually if I had to list five people to win the Masters. I'd have Charlie on my list. I have sleeper. great regard for his game and and for Charlie and Stacy and uh, what they do behind the scenes to, to do a lot of charitable things. But Charlie's game is. Like, really good. And uh, he's flirted with it. He's been in a Saturday last pairing already. Oh, yeah. And, and he's, you know, he knows how to get around Augusta. He's going to be a factor there. So, you know, like, 
how do you get your mind around the fact, though, that the tournaments are being won every week by by like the the, the superpowers are winning the sport? They're not giving other guys a chance. It's like everybody's the hunger is there, the motivation is there, everything's peaking. Uh, I agree, you know. And we have promos that we drop into these uh, NCAA tournament games, and there's copy that's supplied for all the announcers. And yeah, the copy says uh, something on the lines. It's setting up to be a spectacular Masters, a tradition unlike any other the Masters on CBS April 5th through the 8th. Well, you know, I, it's not hyperbole. It's, yeah. not, it's not to say it is shaping up as a spectacular Masters. It but, really is. And it's also interesting, you know, I was reading just today, it's the smallest field in many years. They only have 86 guys in. Hmm. You take out the past champions and the amateurs, there's only 60, you know, guys who really even have a shot to win. So it reduces the... The Y.E. Yang factor, or a guy coming out of completely nowhere because there's just not the depth of the field. I mean, at, you know, at the PGA Championship, you have probably 140 guys who have a chance to win. That's really fair point. So, no question. So it just, it just helps bring the best of the best. The headliners are, are, are going to be there yeah. on the weekend. You, yeah. you almost can put the names in a bag, shake it up, and just draw out seven names for your first page of the leaderboard, and you're, you're going to have seven good names no matter which ones you draw out. You know, they, they're all going to be pretty good. Um, I, 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 and, and by the way, we, we, I mentioned that the Spieth is, is not in peak form. That, that could possibly change on a dime, just like Rory's game did at Bay Hill, although the, 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 the strength factor, the fact that he's not physically – been able to summon the strength of uh, coming off of of being ill over the over December and January. He's just not at full strength. That's a harder thing. To, he may start putting better. Right. Might get a tip at the last moment by Brad Faxon, you know, <laughs> like he did for for Rory. But yeah. it, it just it still wouldn't rule him out with what he's done at Augusta. No, of course. And any player who goes into the Masters struggling with their putting, you'd say, well, they have no chance. But I think he's the one guy where. He actually, it's, it brings him comfort to get on those greens. It brings him confidence, and he—that's a place where he could turn it around. So I, I would say he's still dangerous. Well, that and that's, you know, when you say that too, if, if there's a flip side to it, if you have scar tissue and you haven't putted well on those greens, you can be putting great going in there. Yeah. Um, for Tiger's purposes, he has struggled on these greens really since '06. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, uh, uh, and for whatever the reason would be, that doesn't mean he's going to struggle this year. But crucial putts. Uh, and he's had some 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 times uh, since he last won in 05 where he got on the last nine on Sunday and having having to make the big putt it wasn't there like it was earlier in his career absolutely but I think his mind is freer now um, I think I think there's the mind creates the relaxed hands the relaxed hands produce you know the hole looking like a bucket and the ball going in and uh it's gonna be fascinating to see the whole thing. It's just, it's just like can't get here fast enough. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a time constraint, so let me ask you one last question. Yeah. And when people ask me this, I, I struggle for the answer. But what story would you like to call if if you could draw this up? You you, you shake the bag, but you <laughs> you pull the name out. I I have to boil it down to one. Sure. All right. Give me give me a a, a back nine dog fight that would be your dream scenario. Well, first off, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to be transparent about this. The ultimate story for me would be Freddie winning again. Okay, <laughs> yeah. why not? Yeah, be the sure. oldest major champion of all time uh, by by a lot. He he break he break uh, Jack's record at Augusta, oldest Masters champion by twelve years. 
Uh, his back, as we all know, is uh, the ongoing issue since 1994. But he's always there on he's Saturday. He's always <laughs> there. It's just uh, a, if you can keep it through Sunday. But I will tell you that uh, it may, maybe it's a harbinger of great things to come later on Sunday, but I always have a Masters special that airs on CBS in the hour leading up yeah, to I the live that. final round. Jim Nance remembers Augusta is what it's called. This year it's Fred Couples at the Masters. Okay. So we've been spending uh, even a little more time than usual talking, being together uh, as we put this together. And I'm hoping it has stirred for him uh, <laughs> some really great vibes and positive momentum for him to feed off up because he can still hit it. Oh, yeah. He can still hit it well enough to, to play with the best players in the game. No question. You know, then then you get to can his back hold up? Can can then can can he can he find the freedom to hold the big putt? Can he be little Freddie Couples running around Jefferson Park Municipal Course in Seattle, Washington without a care in the world? Can you somehow tap into that what that felt like when you were just a boy with a bag and a bag full of dreams? And if he could do that, that would be the ultimate story. Now, there's one problem. You've already called it. I mean, that, I that, have. That's the 18th hole on Sunday, right there. That's <laughs> that's the long walk up the hill. You just you just made the call. I don't know how. I, I struggled getting through it uh, as a fan, as a broadcaster, when it happened on April 12th, 1992. Uh, it was such a rich moment that we had. Rehearsed in school, you know, the green jacket ceremony. Uh, it was in our dorm room. We didn't take it outside in the golden light of the University of Houston. Okay. <laughs> I knew you were going to nail me on that. And uh, I was, my voice was a quiver. Uh, and it was one of those moments where professionally it was like you, 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 you gain strength from it to get through it without making a complete mess out of it. I, I, I think that it, all these years later I, I could hold up, uh, but I think the, the two of us saw one another when the round ended uh, and we were uh, there for another green jacket ceremony. It'd be a very, I mean, it would be, hey, listen, that would be the, like the ultimate moment for me as a, as a, as a, as a, as a friend, as a broadcaster, someone you care and love. Uh, doesn't get any richer than that, but it would be, a, it would be a tough one to get through. That would be one Butler cabin ceremony that would be, I might need to bring somebody down there with me to pick it up if I'm unable to get the words out. But it would be sweet. You don't have to hold it in. I mean, the human element would be would be touching. I, I think people would forgive you. That's that's what makes sports great. First off, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to – I want it to happen, and I'll be happy to take the consequences <laughs> if, if that happens. So let's just put it that way. Right. I would love for that dream to happen for my friend. He deserves to have one more curtain call. And it, it could happen. It can happen. Master, the Masters gives us these crazy scripts that just are mind-blowing. Mind you know, Sergio, the most recent, winning on Seve's 60th birthday. I mean, how can that happen? You know what's funny is I was walking with Amy Mickelson on Friday last year, and she said, watch out for Sergio. I totally believe in that stuff around here, that there's just the ghost yeah. of Augusta. It's just different. And whether it's the unseen hand of, you know, Harvey Panic leading – Ben Crenshaw along, or it's you know Phil winning for Amy in 2010, or you can go on down the yeah, list. Yeah, there you go. The emotion is is what makes it's the a Masters real the Masters. part of it. Yeah, and the more you're able to tap into that, the better the results. I will say this for broadcasters too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I I I'm not predicting golf tournaments at 100 percent clip, much less 15 percent clip, but I did see Sergio pre-tournament 
I was at an event on Wednesday night at Augusta last year, and I got asked, who did I, who did I like? And I chose Sergio. Now, after, the laughter stopped in the room. <laughs> because, you know, people at that time kind of viewed him through punch the lens of like, yeah, he can't get Sergio right. No, I, I, I said, I really believe him. First off, I, I never questioned his ball striking ability. And I, I also never thought he was going to go through his career without having that moment where he absolutely proves everybody wrong. But I had seen uh, earlier in 17 when he had won, what was that, over at Dubai? Dubai, yes. They won at Dubai. And I saw what was going on in his personal life. Yeah. And that, that wonderful love that he was experience, experiencing with Angela. And I thought, <laughs> you know what? It's his time. He's at a place now where people can't use him as a punchline. They can say whatever they want. He doesn't, he's, 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 he's a free man now. His heart and his head is in such a good place. And if it, all this is aligned, look out. And that's what I saw. I saw that she was going to be the difference maker for him. I really believe she was. I really yeah. believe she had him feeling like he was a world beater. You know, and when he was in all these scuffles in the past to try to, you know, beat Podrick over at Carnoustie or, right. you know, Tiger Medina or all the other close brushes through the years, I'm not sure that deep down inside he had enough belief he wasn't full he wasn't whole she filled in all those gaps she made him feel like he was a world beater and uh alas he has the green jacket good for him good for them it's a great couple and uh i think it's wonderful that that sergio has a a major championship and i hope there are more to come i think there will be i agree well your passion comes through in this podcast <laughs> and in every telecast thanks so. thanks alan uh, we're all looking forward to we'll hearing have to do it again Masters. sometime. Agreed. Agreed. <coughs> you got me fired up again. Good. All right, Jim. I'm actually going from this recording into a recording of some Masters vignettes and, and billboards. Really? I love it. All right. Right here in Monterey, California. Some part of the broadcast will be laid down here. We should, we should just <coughs> let the listeners know we're sitting in an outdoor courtyard right next to this recording studio. Yeah, right the, by the Monterey Airport. Yeah, the dappled light coming through the oaks. Um, I'm, try, I'm trying to I'm You're trying writing to help you. for I'm, me. I'm, this I'm, is good <laughs> stuff. I'm working with you. All right, dude. This was great fun. Anytime you can. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Chip. All, All right. the best. Really Thank appreciate you. it. All right, this is Alan Shipnuck signing off from Monterey, California. Don't forget to tune in to the Masters. If you listen to this podcast, we know A tradition you're... unlike any other. Okay, I was waiting for that. Thank you. <laughs> Talk about being made whole. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.